You're listening to The Razor's Edge. The Razor's Edge is an investing podcast. Your hosts are Akram's Razor, an investor and trader with decades of experience in markets, and me, Daniel Schwarzman, who has been focused on the market as a career for the past decade. We take investing ideas or themes we're interested in and break them down, or we speak with expert guests to get a wider understanding of a given topic. To get episodes of The Razor's Edge, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get podcasts. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you have a chance, or share this show with a friend. You can also check out our work on Seeking Alpha under our respective names, or reach us on Twitter at, at Daniel Shortman or at Akram's Razor. Our standard disclaimer and disclosure. The Razor's Edge is a Shortman Studios production. The views discussed belong to either Akram or me, respectively, or to our guests when we have them. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. We'll disclose any positions in any stocks discussed at the end of the podcast or during our introduction to the given episode. Inflation is the buzz in the market. Last week's Consumer Price Index, or CPI, report came in with a big inflation number, and there's fear that this could either get out of control or force the Fed to tighten monetary conditions earlier than they planned or are guiding for. Stocks rallied Friday, but still closed down a good bit for the week, with the Nasdaq leading the way with a 2.3% drop. The tricky thing is figuring out what's going on here. Is this due to inflation or the end of COVID and the reopening environment? Is the inflation skewed by weird COVID-related effects and indeed transitory, as the Fed would say it? Or is it time to brace for a runaway train? And how should investors think about all of this? Akram and I work through the key themes and issues around the current market and how we're thinking about everything. Before we begin, disclosures for this one. I'm long PagerDuty, Grubhub, Stitch Fix, Twitter, Discover Financial, Booking, and Dropbox, all of which come up at some point or another. Akram is along Twitter. And a quick plug, make sure you're following Akram's Razor and at Daniel Shortman on Twitter. Akram especially is doing a lot of live spaces on Twitter, which are like free-form discussions that anyone can join from their iPhone or Android app and participate in if you've got something to say. I think a lot of people are enjoying them, and if you haven't checked them out, I think you would enjoy it as well. Okay, here we go. All right, Akram, we are coming off, we're at the end of a week that's been a little bit bumpy in markets, and I think the inflation meme has really picked up. We had a consumer price index CPI report on Wednesday that came in pretty hot, almost a full percent core CPI and headline CPI number. We've all heard the anecdotes and seen the price charts for things like lumber, corn. And so it's kind of creating another dynamic to go along with the reopening dynamic, the end of COVID dynamic, which does seem to be getting closer and closer in the US. We'll dive into sort of the state of the markets, I guess. NASDAQ is down like around 3% so far this week as we record on Friday morning and S&P a little bit less. But what do you make of what's going on right now before we jump into any specifics? What do you think is happening in the market? I think a lot of this is volatility around the end of COVID and it's, it's economic volatility and financial volatility that both tie to just like COVID was a once in a hundred year event, the end of COVID is a once in a hundred year event, right? When you so when you say market versus financial, I think I know what you, or economic versus financial, I think I know what you mean. But tease that out a little bit. What are you getting at in the well, distinction? Look, so I think I think people have to think about when we have this debate over inflation and the focus around it, at least from from the market observation. Let's call it the last two weeks has been. You know, when you like Kathy Wood gets out there and she's like, it's completely transitory, there is no inflation. Well, she's focused on that right now because her, her view is that this is why the thematic names she owns are getting shellacked, right? If you come out with that viewpoint and you focus on that, you're, you're essentially trying to refute 
what is right now a macro thesis that is hammering all your names, okay? That's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is just saying that, well, maybe it's it's just a, a financial event that like as a pandemic ends and you rebalance you know your behavior names that you made a lot of money on you may want to buy a house you may want to do certain things you may want to travel the end of covid being a trigger that has essentially unleashed the same type of volatility that it did on, you know let's call it on, on the back end when like these names started going up and took off for a year does that make any sense it, yeah, it's, I'm just still, it makes sense. And I'm still surprised by it. The short term extrapolation thing, because we, I mean, I think we did actually joke on the podcast a couple of times about the whole reopen trade, how in X amount of months, I think we said further than now we were going to be talking about how those names got ahead of themselves. And that seems, everything seems to happen faster, but it's still this sort of this extrapolation of a couple data points as if it'll go on forever. And you talk a lot about the context of, well, if you're, let's say, Shopify, you should hope that you have 100% growth because look at the environment or whatever it is. And so now we're on the other side of that. At the same time, the inflation number, there is the argument, right? The obvious argument of there's so much money in the system, the Fed has been printing, the American rescue plan or whatever, whatever the one that's passed so far was huge. There are still at least $2 trillion plus budget proposals on the table, whether or not they ever get through the Congress. There is a lot of money in the system. I'm sort of, I, I think it's a mix of things. I'm just, I sort of think people underrate the demand plummet that we're still coming out of, but there is a case, right, that inflation is really strong and then it does knock over to those. What do you, you sort of pose it as if Kathy Wood is making excuses. Do you buy the inflation knock on effect for tech or do well, you? Well, I'm making excuses. She may completely believe whatever it is. And right. It seems, like the Fed, it seems the Fed believes the same thing, right? So I'm just saying that, like, the focus on it right now is because it's disrupted the stock market like it's coincided with the disruption in the stock market at least for people who who have been allocated in, in let's call it in one direction i mean it hasn't hurt you if you've been in the things that have been benefited from it right you were riding the wave on uh you know the, the dow jones industrial average names this has not been something that like you view negatively yet <laughs> because it's supposedly like we what's going on in the economy is good news for the names you're in. It's just been bad news if you're in like, you know, a Peloton or a Twilio or, you know, an Etsy or a Stitch Fix, a Fastly or whatever, as well as a lot of crap stocks. But like, that's a whole different conversation. But the argument around those names is that their multiples have come down because we've entered into a period of higher inflation expectations. And that's bad for growth, high multiple growth stocks. Yeah. And I guess because, you know, the names you mentioned were all. Well, also- not, I, I don't think you see many people being like these names are, are just down because it's a rebalancing and COVID ended and it went up 10x. It's still 2x. Who cares? Yeah. It, well, because I think, yeah, that, that's those kind of two different things going on. And then, you know, we're still. It's still not a major move yet. It feels sharp in a lot of names, but in on the index level, it's still not a huge ground shift. The NASDAQ is trailing the other indices, but that combination of the reopening trade, which we've talked about a lot, and then that inflation idea, you've been through a few regime changes, right? Obviously, post-bubble was 2000 bubble was the most obvious sort of stark Go, go. Yeah, I wouldn't say, I, I mean, like, I wouldn't say I had the ability to interpret that then, though. Like, you don't really, you didn't really think about it as much. I mean, you do look at it in high, like, without question, I've studied these things with the benefit of history. But, like, in real time, you know, it's hard to think about, like, think about 
what was happening in the economy and how the, the policy interacted. Like, I mean, I look at a lot of what's happened now just as like an analog on 2000, just from like a, from a bubbly standpoint, excitement and, and retail and uh, liquidity and, you know, those things kind of coincided and like narratives, you know, like think about the, the, you know, the growth and the birth of the internet and the online world, very similar to like a lot of things people got excited about in, in COVID. It's just like phase two of that. So in the, but I guess in your hindsight, or maybe from what you remember being in it, I guess that's what's interesting to me is like the, my sort of not being involved in the market and not, I haven't actually studied this super closely. I know you talk about the parallels in the November to May versus whatever it was in 2000 or 2001 even, but like when you look back on it and how the move plays out and how much time it takes and sort of when you can kind of flag a does it make sense that inflation in and of itself would be the trigger or is that sort of just correlative to other things and like how do you when you look back on that for thinking about now what do you remember or like what stands out to you from what you've looked at as far as truly recognizing that something more lasting is setting in and it's not just a fast extrapolation of the next data point and we think that'll play out forever do you know do you know what i'm saying yeah i, I don't know i think that it's tough to, to reach that conclusion there's clearly things like if the economy let's sorry let's start it this way if financial markets benefited from really aggressive monetary and fiscal policy responses and a really really flush liquidity environment that was further, let's call it exacerbated, if you want to view it negatively, but in the case of, of asset prices, positively, by COVID shutting off certain things, like forcing, like, if you look at the economy as a punch bowl, and like, you just tipped everything into one end of it. So work from home does have kind of that dynamic, right? Stay at home, open up, stay at home, open up, right? So when you combine all those things together, open up is tipping the, the bowl back, right? But like, you also like added it. If you were to think about it from uh, the general standpoint of of policy and saying, you know, you added more, you know, more liquid into the bowl, you're tipping it back. So in doing that, like you're swinging the pendulum in, in anything related to that. Part of it is sucking what, what went into that crowded side. And part of it is just like the natural benefits that would have accrued to that part of the economy, let's call it in, in, in nominal in, in nominal dollar terms, if you measure anything, you know, I mean, like you've got the Friedman saying of, you know, inflation is everywhere and always a monetary phenomenon, right? If everybody's 401k doubled in a year, right? Like it's logical that there's going to be, assuming nothing else changed, right? Notable appreciation in house prices relative to a year ago. But the fact that we're talking about these things now is a function of COVID ending because it's triggered a lot of the movement that is like putting a lot of that into focus, which we start calling. Again, when a house price goes up suddenly to the seller, it's a great investment. To everybody buying, it's potential inflation, right? Like it's, a, it's, it's just a barometer. It's the same thing with, you know, the debate around we were really excited about food delivery and the margins and like how good a McDonald's and a Chipotle and, and these guys are doing. But now it's like, well, they have to pay some McDonald's are paying, you know, what is it? 50 bucks for, for an interview or 500 bucks for an interview for someone to come in and have an interview. So you look at some of these things and, and, and it becomes, well, okay. That's also a kind of a consequence of, of what's happened is that, you flooded all this money in and like, you know, people say, well, you're paying people not to work. Well, I mean, you've just changed like the baseline of what the income is. Again, that's you're playing with the price level again. And this is something that like we didn't talk about in peak COVID because this was not really a concern. Right. But like as things end and people go out more, these restaurants are now like, hey, we have we, we can't service demand. We're having supply issues. 
And that's within the frame of like a pre-COVID environment. So like these, these are just observations that like come out of the back end of COVID ending, right? And this is where the Fed gets into their transitory argument. Like it's not genuine inflation. It's not a sustained increase in the price level that really this is a consequence of a bunch of imbalances caused by COVID. But like if you essentially reset the price level with your fiscal and monetary responses and like to a degree devalued your currency, then you can just call it like it's not going to be persistent inflation. It's just kind of like a one-time shot. So part of what everybody saw in the asset markets was it was like imbalanced. Like maybe your 10x wasn't really a 10x because this money has to flow into other areas. And it was put in there to offset the deflationary forces in those areas. Now we've seen some perversions for everything from Hertz, which was back in the news again, to the likes of AMC really improving their financial situation. Uh, GameStop, you know, essentially it's, uh, companies that essentially were were restructured in nominal terms and now like has a real impact on their business right? because they were able to they were able to like delever de while their business was shut down because so much money flew, flew into the system it's like it's the it's the ultimate in ironies right and it's the reason like you know the airlines didn't go bust and so many of these other things happened that typically would happen like you decided you were going to offset these very clear deflationary forces because there's no airline business that could have survived COVID. It hasn't been created. Like that business model doesn't exist from running a typical airline business. So like the only way you could have survived it is if everything around your capital structure was essentially suspended. And that's kind of what happened. Right. And you had access and, and, and you literally had access to capital to sit through the whole thing while, while you recalibrated. Normally, it would have been a deflationary shock. I mean, and after within like what was it like eighteen months of nine eleven? Like, you know, almost all the airlines filed for bankruptcy, right? Right. Yeah, that was. Yeah, it's it's interesting your point about the end of the co of COVID is sort of the context here too, because you're we weren't talking about a lot of these extra things a year ago because it was clear why the demand had dropped and why you needed to. If it's understandable, at least that the federal government would want to patch that over and fill that in and kind of keep people in decent shape, even though they weren't able to go out and work. And now we're kind of, I think there's a bit of an impatience uh, to just declare victory and move on and pull all the extra measures. And there's probably a case, like, I don't want to caricature that. There is a case probably for like, we should be cautious about overdoing it, but it is, it does a lot of the extraordinary stuff goes away by the end of the summer, which was like a decent conservative estimate for when things are going to be closer to normal. And that's all happening financially, economically. The supply chains are also just in a weird place, and the demand for the chips. Obviously, we talked with seven conductors, but like demand for chips is a little different. And so that's skewing when you actually look at the CPI tables or whatever. Used cars and trucks is the number that jumps out to everybody. 10% seasonally adjusted change from last month. Like that's the and then the second biggest number is transportation services, which yeah, if we're starting to move around again. And so yeah, I, I, I do wonder it may be a convenient excuse for tech investors and growth investors to say, oh, people are over exaggerating the inflation when actually it's sort of closer to that theme we've talked about about well, how much more excitement can there be for these tech names and how much more value can there be that the market hasn't recognized already for the last few quarters, thinking that COVID would go on forever or COVID inspired growth. Yeah, I mean, look, it's not easy. I mean, you. Is it affecting how you view the markets from an investing standpoint? I mean, are you looking at these names and thinking about, do I have to change the equation? I mean, you know, I'm not, my portfolio is weird in the sense of it's not super high. It's for all the SaaS we talk about, it's not super high SaaS. A couple names that I've, the names I actually have added this year are, we've already talked about Grubhub. I added a, 
home security camera company, and that's gotten that's been pretty choppy since I've added, and it makes me. I don't know. It's I still don't see a ton of great values out there. And so it makes me cautious about what's going on. And I'm probably going to close a couple of my smaller positions to raise cash, like waiting on one of them lapse the the annual date today. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's a good sort of. It's good for humility to remember that this is kind of a big move. I. We talk about PagerDuty quite a bit. I almost bought a few shares in PagerDuty this week, just a tiny, like tiny add to a position. It's still a small position, but yesterday would have been so far the best timing. Although that has not been the case <laughs> for any of those names. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I like was trying to look at the. I have those that small group of growth stocks. We've talked. We talk about all three of them: Stitch Fix, PagerDuty, and Twitter. And uh, trying to see where the numbers make sense for me and whatever. And it's, I mean, I always tend to be cautious. I was looking, my biggest position now is Discover Financial, which I opened like right before the pandemic and then going into the early days and then got as scared as everybody else and didn't really start buying again until early April. And with that stock, I kept like, I got anchored on the bottom. And so I kept saying, all right, well, I'll get it at 25. And I missed that. And I'm like, fine, I'll get it at 30. I never added. And so it's done well for me, but it's like, just because of whatever in the market. So yeah, it's like, I'm not good. I don't know. I'm more conservative in the sense of I just don't do a lot sometimes. And I'm just kind of, so I may miss out on the aggressive opportunities. But yeah, so I guess a long way of saying, I don't think I've it's making me more cautious, but I think that's also sort of my baseline when the market gets volatile. I don't know. What about, are you starting to get, you've been saying like time to go to the beach and kind of relax for a few months. Are you still in that mode or are you starting to, or is this sort of what you were waiting to shake out or are you looking at it? There's two parts to this thing that I think uh, that are, if you believe it's transitory and that's the problem, then you have to also be thinking that 2022 is not growthy. Not growthy economically or not growthy in terms of the stocks that are doing well? No, it's like that you're going to have an economic slowdown. Okay? Okay. Because the counter the counterpoint is that if, if inflation, think about like, I mean, this is just my own personal experience, but I can tell you that the 2000 market from a trading experience the the crap crashed in February and early March. You, I think Microsoft peaked end of March, beginning of April. There was like a little bit of a dip in, in those names into the early summer. And then there was like a rally in a bunch of those stocks. But like economically, not much had changed in 2000. You got to the fall, investment banks started to slow down their hiring. And there was like a tightening in like, let's call it the financial market. Then like by the end of the year, like Cisco froze hiring in December, but you didn't get bad news out of tech essentially till, till, till February of no, till February of 2001. That's when you started getting like software warnings and everybody talking about like slowdown and spendings. And then that's when like things really, but by that time, the stock market, I'd lost, you know, the bubble had already deflated notably. You didn't wake up one day and you have bad economic news and you were selling names. So when you think about it, and then like, you know, we went through a recession and it was brief and things started to turn and there was a different, it was like a differently balanced economy and you had the housing boom and everything else. And yeah, you, you had tech, you had some tech stocks that like that ended up being the greatest thing ever because they grew so well. And that's where people made a lot of money because the speculative frenzy and demand for them disappeared. So that was great for venture capital. And it was great for like the guys who came in and just were like, I'm going to buy Amazon.com and I'm going to hold it. And we'll keep buying it and we'll keep holding it. Right. So when I look at this environment, I say like, well, look, if you believe inflation is transitory then you got to kind of believe that there's a slowdown coming in 2022, where, and particularly with some of these things that have like the post COVID dynamics. And then just like, if there's a less stimulus, less of a like tailwind for consumption, there's going to be, in theory, less investment. 
and less excitement about the market. And that's, it's got a feedback loop and that takes it's, it takes time to play out. If you're on the other end and like you're like inflation really runs hot, then you got to believe the economy is constantly running hotter than the supply slash slack that we have in there to cool it off. And that the Fed will be fighting to tighten like something that's overheated. And like this thing seems to be leaning towards the former, not the latter. Like you can't take anything that's happened recently and say it's inflation out of hand. It's more like a rebalancing that feels like inflation out of hand. And that's why they, they like to call it transitory. But that may not mean that everything that's happened with the stocks have been hit by it and the blame has been about inflation and yields rising is in fact a false warning or whatever you want to call it. Is that the right expression? False alarm. False alarm. False alarm. False alarm. That's right. <laughs> so, like when you've got uh, when you've got that dynamic, I think that that's like that's when you get into something where I'm like, look, I get like my Ark Invest is gonna is gonna sit here and really really pound the way on transitory, but like at the same time, they're not gonna come out and tell you, you know, everybody's gonna everybody everything that we're long has really shitty comps in 2022, and. There's a lot of macro variables that are really shitty comps in 2022. Like the stimulus packages aren't going to get bigger in 2022 than they were in 2021, 2020. I mean, in theory, you know, some people may argue differently, but in theory, the argument is that COVID was so bad that you responded so quickly and so forcefully that you ended up having things like AMC being able to deliver and trade at record high enterprise values and Bed Bath and Beyond, you know, like. That, these types of dynamics that have happened in the market, that you, in fact, these were like some like the unintended consequences of having to save like the airline industry and having to get people to calm down, right, and stay at home. Like that's that's the way of looking at looking at it. And furthermore, what's happening right now is also part of that. I mean, there are some people who, by the way, believe like what the Fed did was create like a permanent wage inflation step up. For the lower class that like has been, that like you know organized labor hasn't been able to do so like you've actually gotten like at this point where for let's call it fast food and all these other things although the counter is like they'll find automation to get their way around it but you've created an environment where you pushed up the minimum wage in america permanently from the from both the liquidity in the market and the and the Unemployment benefits and everything that like you're not going to get someone out of bed unless you're going to really open up the door to immigrants for, you know, less than $15 an hour. <laughs> so what you, you, I don't know if you totally got to, like, so how are you thinking from your perspective? Like, where are you in terms of what you're watching for with the market? Like, do you, you're obviously following the markets. You're on Twitter. So I've kind of like benchmarked uh, the market, of at least the growth names on like, you know, waiting to see like if everybody has washed out. So like when I look at Twilio or PagerDuty, if Cloudflare and CrowdStrike are still able to trade at 50 times sales, like I, I don't think we're there yet. And I look at a name like Peloton, it did come down. Notably, like that's one where you're like, all right, like this thing may may have taken enough on the chin. Fastly may just recently have taken it enough on the chin. But unlike the last couple of violent bounces, like I'm like I didn't I've not looked at this and been like, I want to step in and, and buy these names. Like I was telling the cap, I was like, I think Twilio's going to 200. And he's like, that's crazy. Of course, the cap when Twilio was on its way up, and, and I was like, dude, we're, we're gonna hit 200 tomorrow. He's like, that's crazy. <laughs> That was six months ago. But like now it's like, you know, 200 to him seems just not possible. And he's definitely not like, like he, he's a guy who's, who's definitely not focused on the, the inflation element. Like I think he agrees with the transitory take. He, he thinks it's ridiculous to be selling the growth stocks based on that. But like he definitely doesn't also seem to think that like maybe the growth stocks just all are, are worth half what they were at like the peak of COVID at the end of COVID, like, the, the, you know, COVID's got, got to have this like momentum extreme, right? So that's the whole part of the concept of, you know, the bubble, like a bubble, like in 2000, it's not like they were, they were wrong about a lot of the things that were going on. It just played out differently economically. So yeah, and that's that financial versus economic element is that their business position is probably going to be just as good, no matter what I saw. 
Elliot Turner made the point that software businesses are, as businesses, well set up for inflationary environments, which makes sense. But the valuation element is sort of the like that's that whole price versus value thing, right? The pricing element. And it seems we're like what's interesting to me is also that you're starting to see some of these reopen plays show that they ran ahead of themselves. Booking pulled back a little bit. Disney just had a bad Disney's sort of weird because Disney Plus kind of screwed up where they sit. But Disney's pulling back today. That's where we talk. But yeah, valuation, a pricing level reset, to use a term you mentioned earlier could throw this all off even without thinking about things like what is the COVID reopen dynamic and also what does inflation do to these business models? You're, you're somebody who uses relative multiples a lot. Does that become harder in a time like this when a regime change may be happening under our feet? Like, Does it become harder to look at Twitter and compare it to Snap and Pinterest when everybody's kind you of know, reciting. You know, I was talking about like, like relative value is actually an interesting place to be if you can get it right, you know, in a tape like this, because the macro is actually the hard thing to get right, right? But does that mean that you have to pair everything to kind of make sure that you don't get hit hard? Like you have to hedge so that if the whole... If the whole pricing level moves and you're just catching the alpha or the delta between them, then you're fine. But otherwise, you're kind of exposed. Uh, hmm. Take PagerDuty, for example, which we talk about a lot, where they trade, I don't know the number exactly. It's eight or nine times sales, let's say. Maybe it's seven. Who knows? The point is, they, they they're, you just mentioned CrowdStrike at 50 Still, Twilio is probably still in the teens or 20s, whatever the numbers are specifically for now. If you're long page, we make the case that there's relative multiple and also steady growth. So there's a, a fundamental aspect to it. But if the whole sector gets compressed, the multiple, unless you're pairing pager duty with somebody who you think pager duty will outperform. You're still Correct. exposed to that multiple compression, right? Like you kind yeah, of course, hundred percent, right? Like that's and that multiple compression can be ninety percent, ninety percent of the ninety percent of the move. So is that? I mean, I guess that's. So you're saying that relative value can work well in this, but I guess I'm asking, does that that has to be a function of being smart with pair trades or being smart with other ways to kind of make sure that when the compression happens, if it happens, it doesn't hurt you, right? Or is there another way of thinking about how to use relative value to position yourself? Yeah, I don't think it's just like, look, I think if you're gonna, if you're, if you're committing to a sector like that, you probably have to be long, short, like explicitly pair, pairing, doing pair trades. I think it was Roman who was talking about like, he's like, yeah, but pair trades can backfire, like a, a Twitter versus Snap. And I was like, look, you can't do a Twitter versus Snap in a pair trade because they do have different ownership, you know, groups, right? Like the triple digit revenue grower, new app used by the kitties and the company that's been around for 10 years that like, you know, had negative revenue growth year over year, last quarter type of mentality. Like you, you would be looking at like uh, a workday versus a CRM or a page of duty versus like a Slack or a recent IPO, like, you know, in the, in the same bucket growing in, in the same vicinity. Right. And that's where like, you know, if you actually can kind of put, if like, you know, the business really well, you could argue that this is a great environment to kind of focus on, on, on being market neutral. But I would say that like, if you are a person who doesn't hedge and you have been a spectator for a year, like this big drawdown just now, if you're buying a PD or a Twitter, the odds are now better for you to make money. Because in theory, the narratives have not changed. Like if you're buying Twitter here, like nothing happened in Twitter in the last six weeks that changed your view on the rate you expected to grow advertising revenue over the next three years. Because this is one that just started accelerating, just added certain things, it just re revamped, you know, like it's a restructuring, it's a turnaround. 
let's call that let's let's call it what it is. It's, it's effectively speaking a turnaround from from a financial metrics standpoint. So when when you're dealing with that case, like yeah, I mean like something that just like like what just happened, the stock went from eighty to forty eight in six weeks. If you lived in a, lived the vacuum and you didn't compare it to the other names around it, you go after that. It's it's probably if you viewed it that way, it's an easier one to do than maybe like resolving Peloton here, because Peloton still good, but like those people are going to still argue maybe expensive here after the move down, and those people are going to argue that like this kind of set you up nicely for like the next five years because this connected fitness the like. I mean, even what's his name was just tweeting it lately. I made fun of it, like, you know, in March with the the 2000 tweet about like the internet to, to shut down or dying, right? And I saw Aaron Levy tweeted that the other day as like a joke to make fun of like, you know, the like, don't be worried. So off, yeah, yeah, don't be, don't worry, don't be worried about these thoughts. And it's like, dude, like, but like, but like actually that joke was actually, you know, relevant for 10 years because there's very few people who have an investment horizon, you know, when they get to, into something that extends beyond that 10-year time period, right, to measure certain things from quarter to quarter, because there's going to be a lot that's going to happen after that. There's going to be doubts and there's going to be concerns and there's going to be the unanimity. I, I don't know how to describe it, but like the, the kind of the unanimous thinking that all these companies could do no wrong and like there's no way they'll do no wrong for a considerable time period. Like my question is, are we going to be in a scenario come February next year where it's like, fuck, Apple didn't grow at all year over year, and uh, Facebook grew forty percent this quarter, and, and like, okay, wait, they're flat next year at this time. Like, these are possibilities. Each one has some like unique thing facing them, and then there's, there's like, you know, the only issues here are regulatory risks, and like, well, I mean, yeah, like at some point, like you really start have to start thinking that like the regulatory risk is real. Or there will only be Fang to rule the earth for forever, right? I mean, like, like that's when you get kind of these these little things that factor in, and like, you know, the conventional wisdom is like this too shall pass on the inflation, and like just buy good companies and hold them, and like, well, I mean, yeah, sure, but what if this is kind of like the rotation, and that kind of we were having this kind of debate of like, do you sell a Home Depot here? Do you sell a Lowe's? Because you were pointing out these names like Booking.com. And like the open up that overshot, like Disney yesterday, for example, where is it today? They're down three and a half percent. So not the end of the world, but they yeah. peaked in early March and they've kind of come back. Yeah. So 30. look at Disney as a stock. Disney's trading roughly 10% above where it's pre-COVID peak. Like, is that a victory or a loss for Disney in, in like this, in this tape? Like, that's a, like, that's a good question to ask, right? Like, I think it got to like mid 150s in November of 19. So, and that was like kind of the peak excitement around uh, Disney Plus. And then like that turned into like pessimism and then COVID. And then like, you know, we had this huge rally of like Disney is is stay at home stock because of Disney Plus's growth. Nobody was really taking the viewpoint that like Disney was being like, it would get separated from Live Nation, for example. Like Live Nation is totally shut down, but oh wait, now all of a sudden it's making a new high. But was part of this that like it's got it's a parks business and uh, like everything. I mean, they missed on on the streamers and the ARPU is like what like it dropped again. Like clearly they're giving it away in, in in Asia. When you look at it from that standpoint, it's like, well, okay, but like you know, it's a company that was highly dependent on their parks and you just went through a pandemic and it's ten percent above where it was. And it supposedly has made progress as like the number two global player in DTC SVOD. Is that good or is that bad? Like it's, it becomes hard to kind of measure those independent narratives. Like Twitter, for example, right now is like just a little bit over 10% higher than where it was before COVID. That's another example. And it's like, well, everybody started trading. Everybody got on FinTwit. Everybody's podcasting. Everybody's promoting podcasting. Now the, everyone, there's like live spaces and people are discussing investing on it. And, uh, all this happened and they added these, this many users and they redid all these things and like, you know, not much change in the stock. So the counter can be, well, great buying opportunity. When the flip side is like, well, all right, but like, if I missed that whole window, maybe I, I, I would have been nice to have been in the Zoom or, or, the, or the Amazon or the Apple, right? Which doubled without much stress. I mean, if you look at an Apple, it's just kind of like it's been sideways since like June of last year. It's literally 
the stock is now officially coming up on having gone nowhere for 12 months. Yeah, well, they August was kind of when they, and I think that I was actually, you mentioned Roman, I was listening to his space, he was doing briefly the other day, and he, he made the point. I think it was the split happened in August, and they kind of peaked there, and then they've been flat. Yeah, I remember my father bought it like at like 138 or something, right near near the high, and he was like, I bought some Apple, what do you think? I was like, now? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a good. And by the way, though, like not that like the timing on it, not that bad, right? Like, it like as far as it like sorry, the damage relative to the timing being bad. It turns out like you you couldn't have come closer to top ticking it, but haven't lost much money relative to like anything else you may have top ticked. You yeah. never got to be sitting at a point with it with that position probably of of you know being happy with that. That's for sure. Uh, with everything else that was going on. But like today, I'm sure he looks at it and is like, well, it's not, you know, that that percentage of that position. Uh, no big deal. It's, it's, it's not causing aggravation. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's like an 8% drop down or drawdown, which isn't a big deal. And it's interesting that the two things that occur to me is when you're talking where I think you still have to, I don't know if I would look at it as a win if I, was a Disney shareholder, but, you know, we talked about Disney at the beginning of the pandemic as sort of the anti-COVID ETF, just because all their business lines, except for Disney Plus, seemed affected. And so the fact that they're in arguably as strong or stronger business position, I think, is a win. It's not a huge financial return unless you bought in the lows. But I think that's, again, it's that sort of divorce of economic versus or fundamental versus financial reality. The other thing, your point about Apple is in terms of this pair trade concept, I think you've made the point, a few other made people made the point that Dropbox and Box as well, I guess, to bring in Aaron Levy are common hedges for SaaS trades. And it, of course, I own Dropbox. And so that's funny to me that I'm in the picked on name, but it, it makes perfect sense because it's it's less risk of going crazy. It's less risk of taking off. It has pretty decent correlation to the to the sector, and so you're more likely to get that upside. And so if you were long, not nothing is a recommendation. I don't actually pair trade, but like you could see a pager duty paired with. Well, I mean, pager duty is more volatile, so maybe it doesn't work with a Dropbox, but like. You look, you understand. It makes sense to me as we're thinking about this why a company like a Dropbox would be a short, not per se because I mean, it could be because of their business position or whatever else, but it's also to me, it seems like you take that just like you take that 8% loss in Apple. Like, given where you could be, Zoom has drawn down at some point at least 50%. I don't know if it's there right now, but you know, some of these other big names have pulled back quite a bit and. If you own them going in, great, but you're still going to feel stupid about not having sold some of it. And so, yeah, that's, I don't know. I mean, the pair trade, like, because the, the pair trades I feel like you've called out have often been, there's a little bit more of a fundamental tie between the companies, you know, the whole. Yeah, you got, I mean, you do, you do really need to nail that down or else you can end up burned big time. Right. Your short goes up. And you're all going down, which is like the worst. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, you can't just play multiple arbitrage. You have to like, you have to understand what you're doing and understand the sector. And that's, that's where shorting is always, I feel like a higher bar for entry is because there is more to, you have to get right to really feel, or there's, there's more risk of, there's more pressure with the borrow and there's more risk of, if you get it wrong, it feels like it can hurt worse, but it, it can be good timing for it to, for a market like this too. So, so I, any last thoughts on the sort of current market environment inflation? You're, you said it sounded like you said you were leading towards it looks transitory. To me, it's at least too weird to really say anything yet. It just seems like we're still lapping the peak pandemic and. It's going to be hard to make any judgments. Yeah, I, I'm I'm definitely in that camp. Like I I don't I haven't like 
I mean, I was I was looking at the market last week and I was like, should I buy some Home Depot puts and Microsoft puts? And then I was like, I'm just not I'm not gonna bother with this stuff. Let me just go find something that I can I can focus on. That's the type of decisions you have to make in this tape. I don't necessarily want to short some cloud name. And then I don't want to like, I don't want to get back into buying some of these cloud names because for one reason, one reason only, that being dead money. And I'm not trying to be a long-term investor. After I've had half a dozen trades taken on the chin <laughs> since March. So it's just GoPro. GoPro or go home. Yeah. But people asking me about that one, I'm like, I did not use it that much in my water sports. But uh, in case you haven't noticed, this is not the market for like the nth speculative. Like once we've made it from Apple down to GoPro, right? Everything that happened in between. Not looking for the counter trend ideas, right? If I wanted to do something like today, like if you're going to ask me about GoPro today, I'd be like, just go buy PagerDuty. Why do you want to make your life difficult? But yes, 100%. I think that they're executing on everything that we discussed for 2021 and it's going to play out exactly, maybe even slightly better, but everything that we were discussing with respect to 2022, kind of like that overshot open up trade becomes more pronounced in this environment because of, if I can look at booking and Boeing as potential investments, or if a Disney pulls back enough, I'm not evaluating GoPro unless it's a huge discount. So, I mean, it has pulled back and it's almost back to the entry point. But in a market where anyone who entered anything two months ago is down huge and a lot of names, like that's a win. Like now you have to go, you have to reset and think about these other names. And like, that's if like, you're just going to be an investor, then PagerDuty just dropped another 30%. That's kind of like, that, that was your downside put strike. Then come in and buy it here. Particularly, by the way, it, with ServiceNow taking it on the chin, you know, and, and actually having criticism around, what do you want to call it? Uh, fundamentals. I, I hadn't followed that with ServiceNow. Yeah, I mean, like, they're just like the bookings and like, we've kind of warned a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, yeah, we're also starting to see those e-commerce names warning a little bit or giving. Yeah, there, there have been a, a few like... And I guess that's that's how sort of where I my head is is just that there's there's still digesting to do economically in the markets whatever else and so it's just that makes for potential bumpiness potential time for caution and it gives an opportunity sort of I mean, maybe you've seen that you know there are a couple of headlines out there about well now that the pandemic's over you have like a chance to be a new you. And I feel like there's something to that in the market. You don't have to get hung up on what stocks you had. It's a potential time. Not that I'm doing this per se, but it's a good time. It's always a good time to sort of rethink and refresh, but in a changing environment, it makes it especially worth reflection and consideration of what's going on out there, which I guess is what we did here. So I think that's any, any last thoughts or? No, I don't think so. I mean. Uh... I guess I would say that from an, from like just a broad, like we, we really didn't get in the nitty gritty of the things around the data and inflation. I don't know if you went to the Kansas city fed report or like, you know, the survey, like, I mean, it went to great lengths to emphasize labor shortages and like the debates around it and the debates around it ranging from, you know, gig economy workers to the unemployment to, you know, some people just like everybody's trading. <laughs> it's like a bunch of things that have been tossed into the mix to try to explain uh, why behavior has shifted and why it's so tough to, uh, I mean, to find employees. And I mean, I do think part of it is what happened under COVID, right? Like you develop a habit over a year, and like tough to break in, in some respects. But like the fact that they're so keyed in on that, that's really, I think the big measuring stick from a transitory standpoint, how quickly does the labor shortage resolve itself? What's, by the way, what part of that is immigration? Like what part of that, by the way, is like just like the borders being shut and the things that have happened under COVID and like the inability to move? Yeah, and I think you made that, you or somebody made that point on one of your spaces, the H2B or whichever visa like 
Yeah, I think there's yeah, when I think about like the uh, Eastern Shore or Maryland, like 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 that's just like a everybody working at those places is, is imported from abroad for like the last fifteen years, two decades even. You know, they're hiring Russians and and Eastern Europeans and and Italians like who come for the summer. It's no longer the summer job of like a of a high school or college kid because it seems like those guys now are are, are traders. <laughs> Or gig workers, it's the summer job of uh, I want to say emerging markets, but well, it's like labor. An ex- it's an exchange program. Yeah, yeah exchange I mean, it, program. to be more, I'm, maybe I'm more naive. I remember, I don't think it was in Ocean City where I went once, but in Virginia Beach, I remember running into a Russian at an ice cream store or something and chatting for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, and that was a while. Like it's yeah, but it's like those things that we don't pay attention to, and it's like. Yeah, I just think there's so much gummed up in the system right now, and it's understandable why it would be gummed up given the last, just, it's an extraordinary time. And there's this impatience for, there's there's one part of society that is like still cautious and tentative and, or satisfied with the current situation. And there's the other part of society that's like impatient to just get back to normal and forget about all of this. And it's like, It'll take a little bit for things to sort out, and that reverberates economically as well. And yeah, that makes that definitely makes for an interesting crosswind as we evaluate everything. Let's see. All right. All right. So let's leave it there. Thank you for listening to The Razor's Edge. Subscribe to this wherever you get your podcasts. Hit us up on Twitter at at Daniel Shortman and at Akram's Razor with suggestions, requests, or anything else. We aim to publish this every Tuesday morning and love to hear from you. If you can share this with a friend or leave a review on Apple Podcasts, we'd really be grateful as that will help the podcast grow and improve. This has been a Shortman Studios production. Our theme song is Move On by Soquel. Thank you for listening and see you next week.